Welcome to the first sessions of Waka Conversations. Uh, Waka Talent Agency is my Pan-African um, uh, boutique talent agency, where I represent talent from across the continent in the arts, from TV and radio personalities, uh, voiceover artists, speakers, MCs, the works. And uh, in celebration of our 10 years of being in existence, I've, I've created this platform called Waka Conversations, and we're going to start off the first um, session with uh, Donald Buloisi from, from Botswana, who's actually now based in the UK. Uh, but we'll get to that on, on, on why he's there. But Donald, thank you so much for, for, for joining me in the session. And I just wanted to have a conversation between friends about the work that you've been doing, why you do the work. I mean, you know, activism isn't something that we choose. It's something that's, that, that we, that's ingrained in us. And it's something about that is passion driven. And for you, I always call you the ultimate artivist because you use um, your work, you use your intellect, you use your, your art to create awareness on so many different issues on our continent. So thank you so much for, 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 for joining me on this platform. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rosie. I... I'm so happy to be talking to you. This is the first time I see you in 2021. Yes. So, <laughs> so I am very happy uh, that we're able to have this chat yeah. and to reflect because I've been doing a lot of reflection on um, especially the interaction of art and performance um, because I've been wrestling with the question of some of my audience feeling that I lose them or leave them behind when I engage with activism. And I've just kind of, been troubling that for myself and getting them to sort of move along with me as I go into a space where my art is not just for frivolous uh, sake, it's actually trying to change community. Yeah. Okay, let, let's start from the beginning because, um, as I said, you're from Botswana, you, you were educated in Botswana, but then you had the wonderful opportunity, and it's wonderful in the sense that it gave you the education, but it did also take you away from, from, from your natural roots and your natural inhabitants. And you got these wonderful um, scholarships, which you worked hard for, um, and you, tra you trained in the States and then in the UK. Let's, let's talk about that transition and how it was for you and, and what kept you motivated, because it was also just a different time where majority of the people in the States, let's just face it, didn't know that Botswana existed. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, it, it's bad now the ignorance about whether Botswana exists. You can imagine what it was like 20 years ago when I started and going to the U.S. for work. And the main thing that uh, motivated me, because I started in Botswana at around 14 or 15 to perform professionally. So by the time I went to the U.S. at 16 to perform at the UN and address world leaders and do things like that, I was already a professional performer. And so the motivation at that point, being a teenager, was to get better, to be the best, because that's what a 16-year-old wants, uh, and to be on TV, to be everywhere. Um, but as I grew older, now in my 30s, um, you know, I'm double the age now. So <laughs> now in my 30s, I, <laughs> my motivation comes from a very um, visceral awareness of mortality. And 
I lost my mother at 15. I lost my dad at 20, just before my 21st birthday. I am a child who had to be their own adult and parent. And so I was always aware of how life could be snuffed out at any moment. And so when you look at my trajectory as an artist, there is a way that I try not to, I try to make the most of my time here. Mm. Um, there isn't uh, a sense of, when I get dedicated to the story of Sorcerer's Takama, there isn't a sense of, well, I'm just glossing over this while I go into the next project. There's a sense of something that needs to remain when I'm gone. And that motivates me. Yeah. And I mean, you can see it definitely. And it's not just about making the best of your time here. It's also about celebrating those that were here before that we haven't celebrated. Um, and before we get into We Are All Blue and your writing on, on Sosurexigama, um, what really fascinated me was you, not fascinated me, but, but, but I need to thank you for, because you awakened me to other activists on the continent. And, and when you look at, at, at the piece that, and the, the play that you wrote about um, Philly from, from, from Uganda, the, 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 the HIV activist, um, and you took time on writing this play. Let's talk about that, that, that process on how you found out who, um, who he was um, and why, why it was so important at that point in your life to, 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 to write this, this play. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel that um, the work that uh, we do now, we really are standing on, standing on the shoulders of those who came before. And what a privilege to have those people who've done the work before. So when I started working um, with AIDS activism, I wanted to know whose shoulders I was standing on so that I know what progress I desire um, through my own efforts. And I realized that Philly Lutaya, the first prominent African to declare that he was HIV positive publicly uh, in 1988, and he passed on in 89, was largely forgotten. And what that did for me is that uh, I processed it on two different levels. The first level is, of course, it's an erasure that should not be there. And of course, I'm enraged as a proud Black person. And then the second part of it is that, of course, I'm still enraged as a Black person who's proud uh, because our medical history is being erased. So I started to look at it as um, the idea that we are the people whose bodies bear the brunt of AIDS more than any other part of the world. And yet we don't know who's been leading that journey from our house, mm -hmm. in our home. And so when we look at the research that's being done, the data done on our bodies that we don't own as Africans, it's worth going back to see where it started so that we can really attack at forefront head on today and say, we are not guinea pigs. Um, and I thought that message was important, especially going through another global pandemic uh, of COVID-19, where we are being tested because we are desperate, we're mm. being medicated because we are desperate, and we don't know where the data goes. And so to say, let us know whose labs we are feeding every time we get tested and every time we are documented. And what a privilege that our elders have done it before, like Philip Lutaya, to stand up and say, our bodies and the data you get from it matters. It Absolutely. must at least impact um, our communities. Yeah. And then also just because so much of our history has been erased or rather not even written, you know, so, so to, to, to change that narrative and, and talking about that, um, you know, the, your next piece of writing, which was We Are All Blue, and the research you went to, and this was the first, one of the first pieces that had been published about Sosa de Tsikama. I mean, the world 
came to know about it through the film uh, A United Kingdom. Yet many people don't know your book came way before that film. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just need to put that out there. You know? <laughs> the crew and the cast. I mean, it was a fantastic production. But, 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 you know, your writing and, and I mean, it was, it was what, these are one of the plays that actually took you to New York and took you to Broadway and, and, and gave you yes. the accolade of being the first Motswana to, be, to perform off-Broadway. So let's talk uh, about that, that, that process. Yeah, that process was a personal one, Rosie. And it really started as a personal journey. I was ignorant about the history of my country. I didn't know enough about Sestra Karma. And so I wanted to inform myself. Fortunately, in that process, other people felt that they uh, identified and that they were also on a learning journey as I was going through my own. And, you know, when I first wrote about this man, um, barely anything existed about him online um, outside of uh, the writings by white people who meant well, but did not do well. <laughs> who meant well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> politically correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who meant well didn't do well. Um, and so I had to step in as a righteous, proud Black African from Botswana and take the story to off-Broadway, to around the world. And now what I realize, you know, um, you know, years after, more than a decade after doing this story, is that I as a person relate to my people better to Botswana better. I understand how to speak to people uh, in a way that they understand. There's a way that my European education early on, um, you know, yes, I knew how to speak Botswana, but it's not about learning words. I was taught, be very direct about what you want. Be very direct about your achievements. And in Botswana, when I do that in Botswana, it just sounds weird. So I had to learn how to be confident and still present myself in a way that makes sense to uh, my people. And doing blue, black, and white, performing as Sestra Kama had everything to do with that uh, kind of humility that I learned my people expect. Mm. And, and, you know, just talking about that, and, and I'm thinking about, the, you know, the, the, the film in United Kingdom. And, you know, as I said, kudos to the producers and, 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 and the writer and the actors and everything. It was a great production. But from that authentic Africanness, exactly what you explained about the non-directness, for want of a better phrase, in Setswana, and that, that, that essence of how we communicate, uh, there were certain scenes in that film that were lost. So the scene where he was addressing his, his, his clansmen, um, I yearned for that to be done in Setswana. And I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that each act is better than the other one, but I mean, Busi Kanene could have handled that monologue with his eyes closed, you know? And so, so let's talk about, and the reason why I want to go into this is talking about the authenticity of what's been said about us and how it's been said out there. And, and you know, this then leads into that, that amazing essay that you wrote, which is now a published book called Dear, Dear Upright African. But let's talk about the, 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 the the authenticity of, of what is out there, sorry, the lack of authenticity of what is out there, what is it means to be an African and how our stories have been told and why are you changing that narrative, which is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really um, appreciate that. Again, I come into this uh, work in this space with an awareness that the people who come before me, who've been doing the same thing um, uh, through different tools of their time. When I 
looked at, uh, you know, I mean, I always wanted to be part of uh, a telling of Sosra Sakama and the Lady Ruth story that was as big as possible. This is a story I had dedicated a third of my life to, um, you know, writing it as a book, as a documentary, um, as a play, as, you know, at performing it on Broadway. And so when the opportunity came to perform it on film with such an amazing cast, I was pleased. Um, and then I got on set and of course, then I was disappointed when I read the, the script, but I felt that um, from my disappointment, I have a choice. I can either walk off the set and let history know that I never had anything to do with this, or I could stay and see what I can do and see what story I have to tell from that. And I decided to stay. Um, I decided to stay even though I was reading a script that was uh, glossing over a really painful history uh, for a couple, for a nation, and making it seem like a Disney princess story. And um, I, was, I stayed um, even when my lines were dubbed over in a Nigerian accent, which apparently is more authentic to the West. I stayed, I came to the premiere, I stayed. And I stay today when I say I will defend my participation in that work because now we know what not to be done. But I'm also very proud that even as I was having my own anxieties and breakdowns on that set, mm -hmm. I stayed professional because there's a child in Botswana who needs to see me on the same screen as Rosamund Pike and Tom Felton and David Oriolobo for them to feel valid. Mm, that is beautiful and so powerful and so valid and, and people don't, yes, we want to talk about, about, about our existence and, and rechanging the narrative, but it's also the things that we don't say, but rather do and how we act is also something very, very important. So, so kudos to that, for you to that. Um, Dear Upright African, I mean, when I read it, I think I read it about 10 times and I, I remember <laughs> you. crying and because and, these were conversations that we've had for so long. We, there was a lot of almost backlash that came up after that um, and even more when, when you were chosen to speak at the TEDx Khabaroni Festival and you chose to, 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 to narrate the Dear Upright African essay. Um, Let's talk about the realities of that backlash. We were expecting it, but um, how have you turned that for the better, like how you do with everything else and, and change the narrative and change your, your immediate environment? Um, thank you, Rosie. You know, I, for all my exposure to the world, that I love that exposure, I work very hard to expose myself to the world. I spend all my resources doing that. Well, that's why I'm in London. Mm -hmm. But for all that exposure, I am still a very, very much a village boy brought up in a Zwana household called Mahalab, which means an adult is an adult. So when I got on social media and realized that my former school teacher, who is an adult, at least 30 years older than myself, and has children who are older than me, who I went to school with <laughs> at the same school, that this adult is insulting me using words that I cannot um, say back to her. Then I thought, then there's an opportunity to create national conversation. Mm. What dangers am I in as a black body when I speak about my value in a black country? Mm. Um, who in this democratic free Botswana is going to attack me 
the moment I say, I would like to learn a little bit, bit more about my forefathers as a black person. Mm -hmm. And so it highlighted the dangers of, uh, you know, my suggestion that we teach African history in African classrooms, the dangers of doing that kind of work in an African setting, which is really, um, I don't have words for it, but I think it helped us to sort of have a conversation at school level of that school. I um, I'm aware that they had to have their own introspection. Um, I hear that they might have had to suspend her, I don't know. Um, but these are all things that were happening that are healthy growing pains for mm -hmm. that community to heal itself. I didn't have to be part of that. Yeah. Uh, but at least that small impact for that school happened. Uh, and then I think at national level, the, 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 the kind of rage from my white compatriots, my white fellow Botswana showed me that, that I think we belong to the same Botswana, we don't. Mm. They live in a completely parallel reality where I don't exist as a human equal. And I have taken that up to national level. And I am working on lobbying through members of parliament uh, for certain rights to be enforced, if not incorporated for the first time into the law that protect us on our own land. Wow, wow. That is incredibly, incredibly powerful because it's not even, wow, um, because <laughs> I'm just taken aback by that because it's, it's, the land is a very, very contentious issue in, in, in any, any colonized country. Yes. But when you go and you tackle it on a level where they are supposed to be, where they see themselves as being more reasonable, um, mm -hmm. they can't backfire. They, they can't, they can't, you know, run away. They have to face it because they're always asking, well, if it's official or put it on paper or it's a law. Um, that is an incredibly, incredibly important um, and powerful move for, for any other country also just to follow suit. Yeah. And Rosie, can I just say something here? Um, mm -hmm. Just as a human being, that it breaks my heart that I have to ask that for permission by law for me to say I matter. It breaks my heart. And I just want to put that on record that I don't think other people around the world, I'm living in England right now. I don't think that other people around the world, non-Black people, ever have to keep saying, can I have permission to say I matter? That is a level of violence. I am yet to find the tools to articulate. Absolutely. And, and, and it also underestimates the power of what the colonizers actually have done to us. So it wasn't just about the, the, the outer features and the land. It's also just ingrained in, in how we see each other, how we, how we don't see each other, how we don't see ourselves. You know, um, another, another powerful and, and important area that you've been working in, and, and it came out through the, through the film uh, 2064, which is also tackling the, the, the issue of, of the, the LGBTQI issue, issue that, that, that was a serious problem in Botswana for many, many years. Um, and the fact that now, finally, the bills have been passed um, where, you know, banished the discrimination against, against, against homosexuality, and you, and you did this amazing film. Um, as we know, laws are passed, bills are passed, and it's great on paper. On the ground, 
what is the reality? I mean, we've, 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 we've looked at the issue of, 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 of African identity, you know, blackness, but what is the reality of the LGBTQI person, average LGBTI person who, who's, who's living on the ground in Botswana? Um, so I came to the project of 2064, a short film, uh, which is the first professional short film uh, um, about a queer love story from Botswana. Um, certainly the first one after the decriminalization of same-sex marriages in Botswana in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, I came to it as an ally. I came to it as someone who was trying to figure out how to position myself in consonant with the movement. It was not about my private personal politics. And, I, and this is where I want to challenge people to say, whether I am gay, bisexual, straight or whatever, I can still be an ally. So that conversation doesn't need to be about who I am. It needs to be the positionality I desire in relation to the movement as a supporter. So I came into it as that. What happened during filming that is that then I investigated my own personhood, my own sexuality, my own um, boundaries, um, because the character um, had to be a character that I don't judge. Mm -hmm. And so um, in that, I went through a fantastic personal journey where now I come out on the other side and by come out, I don't mean coming out sexually. I mean, I emerge on the other side as someone who refuses to ever come out as straight, bisexual, gay, or whatever, until my friends who are gay can come out and not face the dangers that they face. Mm -hmm. So it's in solidarity that I am choosing to stay in this closet, whether it's a straight closet or it's a bisexual closet or it's a gay closet, I am staying in it until we are all free to bolt out of it with no danger. As it stands now, Rosie, I could come out today and say I'm bi. Mm. I could come out today and say I'm straight. Mm. I could come out today and say I'm gay. I will never face the consequences that my friends in Botswana have to face when they do that. There's immunity that comes with being famous. There's immunity that comes with all the privilege I have in my life. And until that immunity is not what gives me the soft life of speaking about my sex life um, with freedom and they can't, mm. then I'm not willing to open that up. So I was very happy about that film. And I learned early on in my life the power of image. I grew up watching Generations. I grew up doting on every word that seeing you, Rosie, and all those actors on Generations who presented a reality I did not see around me. Mm. I was in the village in Mahalape, but then I was seeing all of you were like, you know, having these lives that were not about surviving, they were about living. Mm. And you were it's black. Yeah, you know, and you're dealing with each other. It's like, and, and so I have learned from that example. And since I have put out that image of a queer love story from Botswana. And with the prominence and influence that I have, I have seen people come up to me and say, I was disappointed. I never wanted you to do this because of blah, blah, I'm home. Well, what I read is that they're just basically saying to me they are homophobic. Mm. But it ends beautifully with, um, hey, but you know, hey, these ideas, hey, these ideas, you know, yeah, you people are, are putting these ideas out there, which means there is a small 
imperceptible change that is happening, that this homophobe can approach me, a person who portrayed a gay character, and be kind. That's a small change I, I'm ready to acknowledge. Um, in my child's lifetime, it might mean that they might think it's redundant, that conversation. But mm -hmm. for now, I'm willing to take all the good that I can. And I think the conversation about queerness in Botswana has really advanced. Last year, we got to invite you, Rosie, and you couldn't come because of the pandemic. We got to invite you to the first queer um, exhibition mm -hmm. in Botswana, a photo exhibition. It's shocking that in 2020, Botswana had never shown queer bodies in a public exhibition. And so I think the film has opened other spaces like that. Mm. We're gonna take a quick break now. Um, and then when we come back, I want to talk about um, your ideas of, of moving forward in terms of what you're studying now. Um, yeah. And also, you know, you, you studied in the UK many, many years ago, but going back with your perception of the world and your strong standpoint in, in terms of your, your understanding your African identity and what needs to be done, how has this, this, this experience been for you? Okay, we'll be right back. 